It's a great place to be today, amen? Amen. amen. Our Savior is risen. Let's try that again. Our Savior is risen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today, and it is a great place to be this morning. We thank you for the opportunity we've had in so many ways to praise you. But Lord, we know that every place is a great place to be today because we're celebrating the greatest thing that ever happened in the history of the world. That was your resurrection and our forgiveness as a result. Today, Lord, I pray as we're here and as we continue to cry Hosanna and as we continue to celebrate the fact that you are risen, I pray for those who are here that that really hasn't made much difference in their life, that today that would change. I pray that those who feel like they're still in that dark, empty tomb, that they're still in those valleys of the shadow of death, that, that Lord, they will quit looking around in the shadows where the dead things are and that they will look to the sky where our risen Savior is, and I pray that today their life will be changed. And we'll give you the glory and the praise and the honor, Lord, if you do that changing in us. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but sometimes I really mess things up. Anybody else out there? Yeah, and then the rest of you are lying, and that's okay, right? <laughs> Sometimes we misunderstand things, sometimes we miscommunicate things, sometimes we mishear things, we misread things. I was on vacation one time and my dad was there. My dad worked in truck shops his whole life and he has hearing loss as a result and you have to kind of talk two or three decibels higher for my dad to hear you and, and then he doesn't always get it right. But oftentimes he thinks he gets it right and he'll respond to what he thinks he heard. And my nephew was in the back of the car and we were on this particular vacation and there were a lot of people passing us in this road we were on and my nephew wanted to go faster. And so he said, Papa, I want to be in the lead. Now my nephew was five years old and he had a bad habit of going to the bathroom wherever he was at the time that he needed to go to the bathroom. And they were trying to break him of that. And so my dad from the front of the car says, Luke, we are not pulling over so that you can pee in the weeds. I didn't say pee in the weeds, Papa. I said, I want to be in the lead. Sometimes we hear things that aren't really said. Sometimes we perceive things we think are reality, and it really isn't reality. Another story of a doctor who uh, took a husband aside after he'd examined his wife, and he said, look, he said, I don't like the, the looks of your wife at all. And the husband says, yeah, I know, doc, but she's a good cook, and she takes good care of me, right? It's not exactly what was being communicated, but it is what the guy heard. During this series, we've been looking at who is Jesus. And that is something that is so misinterpreted, something that is so miscommunicated, something I think that is so misunderstood in our world today that we really need to not try to figure out who we think Jesus is or who we wish Jesus was, but the truth of who Jesus really is. We live in a world where people don't believe in truth anymore so much. We live in a world where people say my perception of truth is good enough, but the fact is, is that when you're talking about Jesus, there is a truth to who he is, no matter who you wish he was or no matter who someone else told you he is, and that's found in the scriptures. And so, so far, what we've learned is this, is that Jesus is the bread of life. He is the very 
sustenance and the very essence of life itself. Without him, we don't really have life. Without him, we are simply surviving and missing some things that we could have if we knew him and were in a relationship with him. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. We also discovered in the second week of the series that Jesus is the Son of Man. In that mysterious way that our Messiah is 100% human and also 100% God, 100% divine, we, we understand that in his humanity he understands our hurts and our needs and our wants and our struggles of life. We also discovered that Jesus is the Son of God, and so in His divinity, not only does He understand us, but He is God, and thus He has the power to share with us His strength, to share with us His peace, to share with us His joy, and to share with us His forgiveness. We also discovered that Jesus is the King of Kings, and it means that once we acknowledge Him as Lord, we begin to recognize the truth of the situation that He is in charge and that we live in His kingdom under His rule that will last for eternity. And unlike other kings, He rules His kingdom as a friend and one who loves us and cares for us. And then last week we looked at the fact that when Jesus was on the cross, He, he showed us what it means to be Jesus, the Lamb of God, with the willingness and the ability to forgive our sins through that sacrifice, that broken body and that shed blood, that was made on our behalf. And today on this celebration day, today on this day when we look at the resurrection, we take one more look at the events of this week that we've been looking at for the last six weeks that we now call holy, and we discover that Jesus is also the Lord of glory. And today I want to talk to, to some of you out there who may not have experienced what that really means in your life, but to the rest of us who have and maybe have forgotten a little bit of the special opportunity that we have every single day to live with the Lord of glory. <clears throat> if we begin to look at this scene today that we're going to look at, we begin to see that, that God really does call us into this life that is, is not just surviving, it's not just getting along, it's not just going through the motions, yet it is life that is really life. How many of you enjoyed the kids being up here? Anybody? I love the little girl that wanted to stay and wanted to sing some more, right? If you're a pastor, you have absolutely one horrible worry in church life. And that is every time the kids get up front to do something and your kid's in the middle of them, right? I had a Sunday school teacher come to me one time. She was obviously a little bit uh, hindered in talking to me and, and she was kind of stuttering around. I said, look, just tell me what the situation is. I know it's something with my youngest daughter, Casey, who was in her class. Just tell me. She said, well, preacher, said, here's the deal. She was acting up today, and I told her she needed to behave, and she told me she didn't need to behave. Her daddy owned this church, and she'd do whatever she wanted. Now, her theology was adjusted tremendously during the coming week, and she didn't believe that anymore. But it scares you to death when you're a pastor and your kids get up front. I have one daughter who does not like to get up front. She does not like to express herself so much. And so every time she sang in front of the church, if they were singing, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, she'd be like this. <laughs> not smile the word, not clap a hand, not do anything. And then you got those other kids. And I had one that was older that did this. It doesn't matter. They can't sing a lick, right? But you know they're singing to the Lord and they are belting it out. And they drown out everybody else and they clap louder than everybody else. Isn't it fun to watch those kind of people? Isn't it fun to watch people who are just into it and they don't care what the rest of you think? 
They're just singing to the Lord. Well, let me tell you something. I know a lot of people that live their life like my middle daughter sings in front of the church. And they get up every day and their life's just kind of like this. And you say, do you love Jesus? And you go, yep, yep, amen. I love Jesus, you know. And the day is just drab and it's boring. And they talk about the fact that their life just isn't what it ought to be. And then there are other people, they don't care who you are. They're going to tell you about Jesus because they are wildly in love with their Savior. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live the first way. Amen? I want to, what? Amen? I want to live the second way. I want to be on fire for my Lord and Savior. Not be a, a, a pest to everyone around me. But I want them to know that I'm not just surviving this life, that I'm not just going through the motions. I want to really live. Do you want to really live? That really is the question. And you know already as you sit here this morning if you're really living or if you're just surviving life. Romans 8:11 says this, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also do what? Give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. I want to read uh, Romans a little bit more expanded, verses 9 through 11, through the message paraphrase. Listen to how it says it. But if God Himself has taken residence up in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of Him. Anyone who, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him in him, whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands the reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that what? Dead life. With this spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. Now, every one of these scenes that we have looked at in the last six weeks, in this holy week that we're looking back upon, every one of those scenes bring us up to this scene today. This scene that promises us this real life. This scene that promises us something new. This scene that says everything has changed now. Nothing will ever be like it was before. And so how in the world can we live a dead life with the opportunity we have to live in the resurrected Christ? Look at Matthew 28, 1 through 8, our scene for today. You're familiar with it. If you've ever been to church on Easter Sunday in your life, you're familiar with the story. It says this, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. I love that description. That's what happens when Christ invades your life in a real way. It's a little bit scary, 
but it's incredibly joyful as well. Afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples and suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is an incredible scene in the scripture. An incredible scene, first of all, because he chose to appear to the women first. I don't know if he didn't think that the men would actually believe him unless the women told him. But he chose to let them know first that he is alive, that he is not dead. And in this entire scene, we have something amazing going on. The opening of a, a door to a new world, if you will. The opening of, a, of an opportunity to a new life. N.T. Wright, a theologian, explains it this way. He says, the point, of course, is that what is happening is the action of God himself. The God who remained apparently silent on Good Friday is having the last word. He is answering the unspoken questions of Jesus' followers and the spoken question of Jesus himself on the cross. And what God is doing is, just, is not just an extraordinary miracle, a display of supernatural power for its own sake, or even a special favor to Jesus. What God is doing is starting something new, beginning the new world promised long ago, sending the disciples to Galilee in the first place, but then, as we shall see, on to the ends of the earth and the close of the age with the news of what has happened, a whole new world was opening up in front of them. And if you don't believe that's exactly what was happening, go over to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, where the writer of that letter tells us this, But you, speaking of those of us who know Christ and follow Him, you are a chosen priest people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you. Read this out loud with me. Are you ready? Out of darkness into his wonderful light. Wow. How in the world can we live a boring life as a follower of Christ? How in the world can we just go through the motions? How in the world can we not get up every day excited about the opportunity to live for Him? Not worrying about this other junk that is so small in comparison to what God is doing in us. Now if we look at these ladies who went to the tomb this morning, there's some things we can learn that can help us live that kind of adventurous life with Christ. The first thing we learn from them is we need to look for Jesus. In Matthew 28, 1 through 5, the scripture that we read, we see that they are going to look for Jesus. Now, we know they're looking in the wrong place, right? We know they're looking in the tomb and He's not there any longer. But the fact is, the rest of the guys aren't out there. These ladies want to see where Jesus has been buried. They want to be where he's at. They want to figure out what's going on. Now, they've been seeking Jesus all along. A couple of days ago, they had watched his blood being poured out onto the ground. They had traveled with him. They had listened to him. They had learned from him. And here, even after he's dead, they're trying to figure things out and they're looking for him again. Somehow, deep down, they knew that all they needed was Jesus. Somehow deep down they knew that there was nothing else that they should be doing that morning except looking for Jesus. And the question for us really comes back to, who are you looking for today? What are you looking for today? Someone or something brought you in here today. Some of you are here because mom wouldn't cook dinner for you unless you came on Easter Sunday, right? And so you're like, all right, I'll come. Some of you are dressed better than you've been dressed since Christmas. And you did it again because it's a thing you do on Easter Sunday. But I like to believe that every one of us is here because we know there's something special here. That there's something bigger than us here. 
That there's something that can meet those questions we have and, and address those longings that we have deep in our lives. And, and we know it's here and we know it's Jesus because we've come here looking for it. All of us around are people who are looking to fill a void. People who are looking for happiness and they're looking for it through health. And they're looking through it for it through wealth. And they're looking for it through personal relationships with other people. But there is nothing and no one that can satisfy that longing that you feel deep in your heart. Nothing that can fill that void that you know has been there since you ha have been old enough to recognize who you are on the inside. There is nothing that can fill that void except Jesus Christ. John tells this story in the scriptures of this blind man who was healed by Jesus and he didn't understand everything about Jesus. He didn't have all the right theology. He wasn't a good Baptist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian. But what he was was he knew he needed something and he knew that Jesus was the one who could give it to him. And when they came to him and, and, and they accused Jesus of being a sinner because he had healed him, he says, I don't know if he's a sinner, but this one, the blind man said, I don't know if he's a sinner, but this one thing I do know, I once was blind, but now I see. Now, now here's the deal. There's so many people in our world today who think they see clearly. My oldest daughter was three years old. Three years old, we noticed she's sitting up close to the TV and, and doing things that concerned us, and we took her to the eye doctor. The eye doctor said she has horrible eyes. She has since she was born. And we got her glasses at three years old, and everybody around us said, she'll never keep those glasses on. She's only three years old. She never took those glasses off. We had to let her go to sleep at night and go in and take them off and lay them beside her bed because what had happened was she thought for three years she really was seeing, but when she put the glasses on, she's had a whole new world open up to her. We walked outside of the Grand Central Mall in Vienna, West Virginia, and the first thing she did was she stopped dead in her tracks on the sidewalk and pointed to a tree. And in her three-year-old speak said to her and, her, and, and my wife, her mom, as my wife was bawling uncontrollably, she said, look, look, look at all those things on that tree. What, honey? All those things, it's not just a big green blob. There's like little things all over the tree. Those are leaves, baby. Those are leaves that you're seeing. There are a lot of people that go through this life and they think they see. They think, I've got the key to life, man. I got a Corvette. I got a Harley. I got a nice house. I got a great wife. You know, I got a good job. Let me tell you something. All of those can be gone tomorrow. All of that can change in one second. Everything in your life that is important that you put in this box, in one second, nothing in that box will be important to you anymore. One trip to the doctor, one tragedy in your family, and it will leave you realizing, I never have really seen what life is truly about. And when Jesus comes into our life, we are once blind, but then we begin to see. We begin to see that there is much more to life things that are much more important than what we have ever realized before. I think the ladies would also tell us as we look for Jesus, we need to look for Jesus, and looking for Jesus requires a choice of openness on our part. You remember that story that maybe you sang at Bible school or in Sunday school about Zacchaeus, that, that little song, Zacchaeus was a what? A wee little man, wasn't he? He wasn't a good man either. Matter of fact, we look in the Scripture, and we see he's despised by his own people for cheating them, but for whatever reason, he chose on that day to be open to Jesus. And out of this choice, he sought Jesus and he went to see what he had to say. And you remember what happens. He finds what he's looking for in Jesus. And 
Luke 19, 1 through 6, we read this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and what? Welcomed him gladly. Zacchaeus found what he was looking for that day because he was open to what he found. Here's what I find today. I find a lot of people that they'll take a look at Jesus. I find a lot of people that they'll come to church a few times. They'll check this out. But when they start to think about what all the scientists have told them, they start to think about what everybody else tells them, they close their minds and they won't deal with the truth that they find there. To come to Christ requires faith. It doesn't require, well, you, we can't prove it to you. I can tell you all day long what God has done in my life, but I can't prove it to you because to come to Christ requires faith. And some of you will say, well, I'm a scientist. I don't have faith. How many of you drove a car here this morning? Anybody? How many of you pushed on the brakes one time before you got here? Did you have faith that they would work? Huh? Yeah, you did. You're like, oh, no, that's science. Oh, no, it's not. Because science will fail you and brakes will fail. But you had faith that when you pushed on the brakes that that would be good. How many of you have flown on an airplane in the last year? You had faith in some guy. What I usually see is some guy that looks like he's 12 flying an airplane. You had faith in that individual, right? You had faith in every engineer, every mechanic that touched that plane. You had faith in literally hundreds and thousands of people when you sat down on that airplane. But you're not open to have faith in the one who created the world and can give you new life. Today's the day that that needs to change. You need a total surrender of yourselves all of the time to choose to have faith in Jesus Christ. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It does matter who you trust. And I think the ladies would also give us a final word of celebration with excitement and enthusiasm. I think they would say, look, if you look for Jesus, look, if you look for Him with an open heart and just let Him come to you and, and have faith that He'll address your needs and be what you're looking for, then you will be able to find Him and looking for Jesus results in finding Him. God doesn't play hide and seek from you. God isn't far away from you. God isn't someone that you got to walk through hoops to get to. God isn't someone that you got to change the way you dress and change everything about yourself to get there. God is someone who says, come to me as you are. I'm right here beside you, right here in front of you, right here in the midst of your life. I am the Lord, I am the King, and I am the Lord of glory. And I open my arms and I open the door for you to come in. And if you will let me, I will open the door for you to see a whole new world and a whole new life of forgiveness and eternal life and abundant life and joy and peace. Will the struggles end? No. Will everything be just a, a, a rosy? No. But will it be different, as different as night and day? Absolutely, because the Lord of glory will walk with you in everything that you face in your life. If you're here today and you really want to experience life, and you're really searching for the truth, and you're willing to look toward Jesus, then Jesus is here. His arms are open wide, 
and he's ready to welcome you into that real life. Now, if you're interested, listen to what the ladies learned that day. The ladies learned this. Jesus is alive, and there is no reason to be afraid. For those of you who have ever received him, and those who haven't, and those who have, but have no passion, the question really for me to you today is, what are you afraid of? Why don't you just let go and, and, and let the Lord take care of that marriage? Why don't you just let go and let the Lord take care of that job situation? Why don't you just let go and let the Lord take care of that habit that you have? Why don't you just let go and let the Lord take care of your life? I want to tell you why. Because you're afraid of something. You're afraid of what He's going to do in your life. You're afraid of the changes He's going to make. You're afraid of what everybody else is going to think. There's something in you that you're afraid of that won't let you let go. Today I just want to challenge you. You're here for a reason. On this day when we're celebrating the one who let go of everything for you, let go of everything for him. Let go of whatever it is that's holding you back and turn your life over to him. Matthew 28, 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yes, yet filled with joy and running to tell his disciples. What an exhilarating, wonderful mix of emotions. Confusion, despair, numb, surviving, bored life, whatever it is, you approach God with this mixture of apprehension, this mixture of fear, but you leave with him saying, don't be afraid. We're going to do some amazing things and a wonderful life. You all remember a Stephen Curtis Chapman song. Some of you all grew up in the church years ago. It's a song that's in my funeral preparations to be played when everybody's walking into my funeral service. It's a song Stephen Curtis Chapman sang called The Great Adventure. Any of you remember that? Saddle up your horses and get ready for this great adventure. We're going to take this awesome ride. The story goes. I want to tell you something. Way too many of us in the church are just looking for a ticket into heaven. We're just looking for that ticket that we don't have to go to hell. And that's not what serving Christ is all about. What serving Christ is all about is saddling up the horse today and entering into a life that is really life. You don't have to survive anymore. You don't have to just go through the motions anymore. You can live a life that is really living starting right now. And guess what? It also goes on for eternity. Would you join me in a word of prayer?